On behalf of Archbishop Lori, the Department of Evangelization has created At Home With Your Faith, a webpage dedicated to helping individuals and families live their faith at home and grow closer to Christ, especially during these challenging times. To learn more, visit www.archbalt.org. The harder questions were the, uh, what we call in theology, theodicy questions. Why, if God is love, why is this happening? If God can do everything, why doesn't God just, you know, destroy this thing? That's the hard, those are the hard questions. I am excited to be here with Dr. Pat Fossarelli, who is a professor at the Ecumenical Institute and St. Mary's Seminary uh, at, here in the Archdiocese of Baltimore. She is uh, both a doctorate in ministry and she is a physician, and she just recently wrote a book on talking with children and teens on COVID-19. Uh, so thank you for being here with us today, Dr. Fossarelli. You're welcome. And I wanted to start off uh, just uh, so our, our listeners know, if, if you could share, I, I know I've worked with you uh, and a lot of folks have worked with you here in the Archdiocese, but if you could just share a little bit of, of your, your background, both in ministry and as a physician, um, if, you, if you could share that with us. So I'm a native Baltimorean who went through Catholic school from first grade through college, went on to the University of Maryland School of Medicine and uh, fulfilled my dream of becoming a pediatrician, uh, which I love. But um, about 15 years into being a physician, I thought that I could be a better doctor by actually gaining more knowledge about theology and ministry. And so I went on to do uh master's level work and doctoral work in ministry. And and so my doctoral thesis actually was the spiritual development of children in health and in illness. And at the time I was working in a clinic for seriously chronically ill children. And I uh, interviewed children and talked to them and heard what people, what questions they had and what answers they were looking for, which has always been um, an important part in my career, both in ministry and in medicine. Wonderful. Well, thank you for that. And I, uh, j- just as we, as we get going, this, this uh, uh, new uh, great book, it's a digital book. I was, I was wondering if you could just share uh, a word about kind of how it came out, and then just uh, a, a general overview of, of the book for us. So I had, uh, I was asked to imagine what a booklet for parents would look like, specifically like chapters for different things. So this book uh, was envisioned just in the month of March. I mean, because this pandemic hasn't been around that long. And so the first chapter really talks about uh, the virus in nice, friendly lay terms, but also terms that children could understand. The And it's really the science and what we know so far and where our growing edges are and what we know about this virus. The second chapter talks about the emotional 
the emotional responses people have to their lives being turned upside down, this virus in their midst that doesn't harm some people at all and, and takes the life of other people. So that's also explained on how to talk to a child about those those different kind of reactions that both adults and children have to this whole situation in which we find ourselves. The third chapter looks at the spiritual questions that children may have. You know, many children think, well, if God loves us, why does God permit this thing? Or if God can do anything, why doesn't God just zap this virus? And so that chapter gives some some guidelines for how to address some of those questions when children ask the hard God questions. And finally, the last chapter is about building resilience in one's child. And it looks at it from a physical, psychological, or emotional, and spiritual point of view. So there are tips, uh, suggestions on how to work with children in three broad age groups, preschoolers, elementary school age children, and adolescents. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, and could you just, uh, while we're on that topic, if you could just say a word about kind of those different age groups and maybe how those different age groups are different and processing what's going on right now. So the booklet looks at it from three age groups, preschoolers, elementary school age children, and then adolescents. And it's understood that You know, sometimes when a child is on the cusp from going from one age group to another, they might be more like preschoolers than an elementary school age child or more like an elementary school age child than an adolescent. So that's why all three ages are involved in the booklet. So a parent can read it and say, well, my child is more like this, so I think I better handle it this way than going into that. But those are the three broad ranges. Okay. Okay. And I guess the the question along with that is, and again, these are broad strokes. I know we've done some work on on grief together and within grief, everyone kind of experiences different things in different ways. And I, I guess, um, though there are also sometimes uh, some level of consistency and reaction and uh, could you give us some uh, uh, some broad kind of ways in which we might view these uh, three categories of uh, of children and adolescents, uh, just ways that they might be processing what's going on and kind of their their possible reactions to it that would be within the context of a, a normal reactions to the situation? Okay, so for preschoolers, generally they're not going to be. Um, they're not going to be savvy enough to understand what's going on. They see perhaps older siblings at home and wonder why they're there, or perhaps they can't go to their own preschool or daycare center and they have questions. But really for them, it's much more a matter of reassurance and just comfort. Uh, They're probably not going to, I mean, they'll say, why isn't daddy going to work? but that can be answered as broadly as the parent thinks the child can understand. It really is the two other ages that are going to have questions. The elementary school age child from say first grade through fifth, sixth, seventh grade um, is really learning the ways of the world. And in doing so, they are interested in why things happen and 
what if it didn't happen and how could we make it go away? The mechanisms of how things are going. So the booklet helps parents to think about the ways for their child that they can explain something that the child can understand, but would also invite more questions so that the child could be learn something and be reassured in the process. And finally, for the adolescents, and whatever age the the young person really takes on that adolescent mind, for some kids, it's not until 13 or 14. And for other kids, by 11 and a half, 12 years old, they're already thinking like that, and maybe perhaps a bit younger, to walk with them on some of the the grittier issues that come up, like, well, why would God let something like terrible like this happen? And why can't uh, we, I thought human beings were the head of creation. Why can't they get a, get on top of this thing? And, you know, what is it, what does it mean to God that we couldn't even go to church on Easter or something? So it's those larger kind of questions because the older kids will probably understand the science a lot better than their elementary school age, uh, younger sisters and brothers, but they'll, their minds will be working toward, uh, why is this happening to us? And especially if they're missing a graduation, even a graduation from grade school, or they're missing their sports teams, or they're missing, they're missing something big in their lives, they're going to be saying, why would God do this to us? And so that's where I would think in broad strokes, that's where the parents um, need to always be, be open to the child or adolescent's questions always in an, in an, uh, I would say, always in an attitude of wanting to hear more, wanting to know how they can best reassure their child and educate their child um, in all those, in all of those questions that come up. And, and I guess along those lines, it, it's funny, my nephew, who's uh, going to be going into middle school relatively soon here, um, my my sister got him to call me uh <laughs> and ask uh well why why is god you know why why does this happen right why is why is this happening and i think sometimes i get into um a place where i'm not quite sure how to respond to that how how deeply to address the question Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that, you know, I mean, my kids joke about different things and they're, they're younger than that. And, uh, their level of understanding is a bit different, for example, than my, my nephews. And I guess, uh, how, how seriously do we take questions from our children, um, or, uh, you know, uh, children that are in our care, like how, how seriously do we respond to those questions and how deeply do we respond to those questions? Well, I take all the questions seriously, unless it's clearly a joke and the child is laughing, (laughs) but I take all those questions seriously. And I think that each parent, um, or say catechist or teacher understands a given child's developmental level and what really they need as an answer. For some children, um, an answer is an answer. You give them something and they're satisfied with that. With other kids, they keep delving more deeply and more deeply and more deeply. If you say, well, this is caused by a virus. Well, what kind of virus? 
well, it's a virus with this name. Well, why does it have this name? You know, it just keeps going on and on where some kids would just say, okay, it's a virus. Okay. Um, so like people get sick from it. Right. And that will be the extent of their conversation. But other kids, I mean, that's just human nature. Other kids just keep going on and on and on with it. And of course that gets difficult. And so the let me step back for a minute. The booklet talks about the science in ways that you can address it with a child. Uh, but the harder thing for parents, at least the parents I've talked to, and for this booklet, we, as I mentioned to you uh, before, we actually use questions from kids that I knew for this. So they fed into the questions and then I answered them. And the harder questions were the, uh, what we call in theology, theodicy questions. Why, if God is love, why is this happening? If God can do everything, why doesn't God just, you know, destroy this thing? That's the hard, those are the hard questions. And, you know, in the booklet, I try to give parents some guidelines for how to address those. Um, but sometimes we just have to say, I don't know. Yeah. Um, certain questions, the most intellectually and spiritually honest thing we can say is, I don't know. What do you think? And that way it helps to find out if a child has a completely um, wrong view. For instance, a child says, well, I think the only people who die from this are bad people. And you go, well, you know, that's not really true. That's really not true. You want to know when a child has an absolutely wrong idea because you don't want them to think that good people are going to survive this and bad people are, are, only, are the only ones who die because his friend's grandmother might die. And then what? Then he thinks the friend's grandmother is bad or something. So, I mean, it's always important for parents to say, I'm not so sure. What do you think? to just hear what comes back at them. Yeah. And I guess uh, one thing from our, our previous conversations is you encouraged me to really ask questions of the child uh, to really discover what the uh, what's really behind some of their questions and things like that. And are there a couple questions that you would encourage uh parents to ask or ways that they could enter into the dialogue with their child? Any like well, specific concrete questions? Well, the first thing that I would say to kind of tag on to what you just said, if a child surprises a parent one night with, why do people, why do people, why do old people die? Why is it people in nursing homes die? Um, the parent may be taken a little aback by that not knowing exactly how to answer for their particular child. But I think it's always wise for a parent to say, what a good question. Why did that, why'd you think about that question right now? And so then the child says, well, Billy said his aunt died and she's older or she was in a nursing home or she had been sick with cancer and now she died of this virus. So then the parent has a context for answering that question. It's not just out of the blue. It really has a reason that the child brings it up right in the middle of dinner. And so, so I always encourage parents to ask those kind of questions. For 
other kids, when they start asking questions, the first question I encourage parents to say is, what do you know about this situation? What have you heard? Uh, what, it, what have you heard from your teacher, your, a friend? Uh, you heard when we had the news on and you didn't quite understand it. It's one of those things that you want to know the misinformation as well as know what the child doesn't know. Misinformation can be very dangerous because, as I said, if the child thinks only bad people get it, and the child thinks he's been bad, he's going to be convinced he's going to get it. Even if a parent says, no, you're not going to get it. So that's why you want to sort that out. And the other thing is to um, encourage that dialogue that's so important between parent and child. And, you know, you have four children. Um, Every parent knows that children are different. And so the one child who you know, is one year older than the next one, but has a totally different take on the way things happen in the world. And then the next child almost seems um, fantasy-like, making up kind of things and going on, even though there's only 15 months difference in the children's ages. It's important for parents to situate their discussions where the child is. You know, in our faith tradition, we always teach that Jesus met people where they were. He didn't expect uh, the common fishermen to understand uh, dense theology, uh, but he did expect the scribes uh, and the learned people to understand what was written. And so for parents, this is especially important. I wouldn't talk to a four-year-old the way I'd talk to an eight-year-old, and I certainly wouldn't talk to an eight-year-old the way I would talk to a 12-year-old. So it's those kinds of it's those kinds of uh, uh, questions that I would ask. Gotcha. And I guess um, how would uh, you perhaps that that's maybe when they are approaching you, uh, but but preemptively, uh, how can we enter into those conversations uh, with uh, the children in our care? Right. How can we kind of start those conversations, perhaps if they're not asking or if they're just kind of realizing that we're not going back to school or something of that sort. So I would say to them, why, what, what's your understanding of why you're not in school? For instance, kids who are in school, um, what's your understanding? Um, there's a virus going around. Tell me more about that. What do you know about that virus? And it's just really to get the lay of the land for the child. And you, a parent should say, nothing you tell me I'm going to laugh at or or say stupid, I want you to have the best information. And so I want to help you with that information. And a lot of times kids will ask questions. One of the kids, one of the questions that I got when I was working on this booklet was, well, how come we had to do, we have to do certain things now that we didn't have to do back in when, you know, when it was just March 1st, And now we have to stay in our houses. And on March 1st, we weren't staying in our houses. And so that's the kind of thing. Well, what do you think? I don't really know. I mean, don't people know what's going on? Well, it's a new virus. And and the, the scientists and the doctors, they're all learning about it just like we are. And they're trying to help us stay healthy. And in doing so, sometimes their advice changes as they learn more about the virus. But I think starting with 
what's your understanding of why you're not in school? What's your understanding of why you can't play soccer this spring? What's your understanding that, I mean, parents can say it. Why can't you play soccer this spring? I mean, they can phrase it in different words, but that's a great way to start it off. So then parents can actually say, oh, wow, um, you're not worried about why you can't play soccer, but you're worried that you won't be able to to learn everything in history. I mean, that sounds weird, right? But for the more studious kid, he's more worried that he's going to miss out on some history stuff and not necessarily about the soccer, whereas the 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 young athlete is missing his teammates and he could care less about history. And so that's where each parent meets each child uh, where he or she is. And uh, I guess another another question would be uh, the the question about technology. Right. And uh, as you mentioned, you know, kind of asking them questions about, uh, well, what have you heard about this and and things like that? And I know that uh, a lot of times with uh, press briefings and different things like that, that we feel like we want to be plugged into, but then the kids, um, kind of overhear that. And I guess, would you have any guidance for us as parents, as caregivers, um, on kind of, uh, what would be a good balance on, uh, technology and news and things like that, uh, with kids of different ages? Okay, so I think that because these press conferences, sometimes information gets out that's either wrong or misunderstood, it's probably good not to have young children there. Sure. The only way to have a young child there, and I don't think preschoolers need to be there at all, uh, the only reason to have an elementary school age child there is if the parent is sitting next to him or her and the child has had some specific questions and the parent uh, is saying, well, let's see if they answer those questions tonight on this. But the parent is right there, almost like a UN interpreter saying, well, see, the doctor said this. And do you know what that means? And the child says, uh-uh. And then the parent explains it. For adolescents, um, they're going to find out their information on their own. Even for older elementary school age children, they're going to find out information because they're communicating with each other in various um, electronic methodologies here. And sure. so they are there. I'm more worried for some kids that they're getting wrong information from peers rather than from press conferences. But I think everybody um, can just can just um, learn from each other because um Another good question for a parent to ask the child is, what question would you like to ask me about this? What do you think maybe that I could help you understand better? And sometimes kids will scratch their heads and go, I don't know. And then 45 minutes later, they'll come back and say, but why do some states not have very many people who died And New York has all these people who died? And there's a good, you know, and that's, that's the question for the day. And so parents can say, well, there's a lot more people who live in New York and they live close together in some place out West. There's lots of farm country and people are not so close and it's spread from one person 
to another. And then kids go, oh, oh, okay. Sometimes kids will say, well, how, how come can we get it from each other in the house? And so the parent has to say, well, but none of us are sick, so we're not going to get it from each other, but that's why we're all staying in so we don't get sick. And that's why we wear masks when we go out so we don't give anybody else the germs and that we don't get anybody else's germs because we don't know uh, who has it. I think kids are very confused about the, the term virus and somebody could be asymptomatic without any symptoms. Because for most kids, the doctor says to them, oh, you've got a stomach virus or you've got a cold and that's caused by a virus or you've got a sore throat. It's not strep. It's a virus. So kids automatically think of a virus as making you sick. And so they don't understand this. We'll just stay away from somebody who's sick. So a parent may be forced to explain why someone has absolutely no symptoms, but has still got the virus. And that's a little harder. We go over that in the booklet a bit. Gotcha. And I, I guess um, uh, another question would be in terms of uh, how to know if uh, a child in your care is uh, kind of the questions and maybe some of the anxiety, some of the frustration, some of the different feelings that they're experiencing are um, kind of normal within uh, or kind of, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess normal uh, within that age uh, group or whether they might need uh, more kind of uh, clinical support or, or something like that. Uh, yeah. as, they're, as they're kind of trying to process it. Yeah. So the last chapter in the booklet, the, the booklet talks about the, the science of the virus. And the second chapter talks about people's emotional responses to this and how parents sometimes can um, act like they're mad, but they're not really mad. Maybe they're more worried that and it's not necessarily the child that's caused it. The, the fourth chapter talks about the spiritual effects of um, the, and the kind of spiritual questions that children may have. It's the fifth chapter, Edward, that you're thinking about, and it's, about, it's called Building Resiliency. And so in that little chapter, I ask parents to look at their children carefully. Is the child eating differently, like pigging out or refuses to eat at all? Is the child more weepy? Is the child uh, now frightened of everything? is having nightmares, is not sleeping well, is sleeping too much, uh, doesn't want to do anything in terms of activities. Those are worrisome signs that the child's, um, the child's anxiety is ratcheting up. But most kids will have questions like, are we going to be okay? That's completely normal. Most kids are going to say, well, but but if we do everything right, are we going to stay safe? And the parent can say, well, that's a really good question. And we're going to do everything we can to stay healthy. And, um, you know, and we're and and that's what we're going to do. But we're going to safeguard you no matter what. So parents reassure children of all ages, we're going to do this. And of course, adolescents may say, give it a break dad or, you know, stop mom. If the virus, if I get the virus there, you can't have stopped it. 
Well, to an extent that's true, although if the child does, for the most part, follow the social distancing and the mask and all the other kinds of things that we're encouraging even young people to do, it's less likely that they're going to get it. Um, so, I mean, I encouragement, encouragement, encouragement um, is, is the name of the game here. And for those kids who are really showing signs, either they have a previous history of being kind of um, anxiety ridden or they this is a new onset that this is now happening ever since everybody's in the house and the child is like, we're going to die, aren't we? Or they're having nightmares or they're, they're, they're not eating and they're losing weight. Yeah. The child's doctor has to be consulted on that kind of thing. Gotcha. And, and um, I guess if you were to give us maybe uh, your, and, and again, we're talking about a, a pretty big, broad, uh, uh, swath of, of ages, but, um, if you were to give us three kind of, of your best tips or recommendations, uh, in kind of talking with, uh, with kids and teens about this, what, what would those be? What would be kind of your, um, your, your three kind of, uh, most important recommendations for us to, to be thinking about? So the first would be, um, to always be reassuring to the child, regardless of his or her age. And we just mentioned that. The second would be not to let parental anxiety bleed onto the child. So if you watch the news and every hour they're saying, oh, there's more deaths, oh, there's more hospital, oh, there's more. Well, of course, even the most robust adult is like, oh, this is really, oh. And children pick up on that, even if, the the parent turns around and says, oh, it's okay, it's okay. They, they know when their parents are upset about something. So we have to keep a close eye on ourselves vis-a-vis -vis children. So that would be my second one. And then my third one is, um, is, of course, asking what a child thinks. But when a child asks a question that a parent simply does not know the answer to, that the parent goes back and says, what do you think? And how could we find the answer to that? How do you think we could look that up? So if a child says, well, um, has anybody in our school gotten it? And a parent says, well, I don't know. How do you think we might find that answer? Now, that answer is not going to be readily available. And that's one of the things the child will learn. But the child has to learn. It's taking their questions seriously and saying, let's see if we can find the answer to that. That's important because it makes the child um, feel like they're, you know, they're, they're, they and their parents are in this together. Probably one of the worst things that a parent can say to a child is, oh, that's a dumb question, or don't bother me with that. Because then the child either thinks he's dumb or his parent can't be bothered and Although a parent may just be upset because they just heard some bad news about somebody else, the child may not completely understand that and then internalize that negativity and imagine something even worse than what is really going on. Sure. No, those are uh, those are very helpful. I mean, this whole conversation has been. Uh, has been great, uh, and uh, your book 
is available online. Uh, it's a, a digital book, uh, so you can get it immediately upon purchasing it. Uh, it's a very uh, approachable, uh, kind of not an overwhelming read. I know a lot of a lot of parents are kind of pulling double duty of kids at home and and working, but uh, uh, it's very approachable uh, book for people to to read and understand. And I am just so grateful uh, for your time today to talk through this with us, uh, Dr. Fossarelli. Do you have any final final thoughts for us as we as we close? Well, the final thought I would have is this whole relationship about God. I think that it's encur- we encourage children to pray, but sometimes children will say, well, what good is it praying? It doesn't seem like God cares. And I think parents always have to take that seriously. Um, we're not in church. Is God mad at us? As one child asked, uh, because we're not in church. Um, why doesn't God do something about this? One wants to help the child understand that God is with us always and loves us. And although we don't understand, we humans don't understand why this happened at this time in this place, um, that we are confident in what Jesus told us and that God is with us and God loves us. And in our struggles and in our questions and in our doubts and difficulties, we can always bring them to God. And that's that's a good reason sometimes for parents and children to pray together and to simply say, okay, if you could ask God a question about this, what would you, let's ask God a question and make it a part of prayer. And people say, well, that's kind of silly, um, but it's not silly. One, it gives the parent a, a real opportunity to see what that child would ask God if Christ would appear in in that living room at that moment, what that child would ask. And that gives the parent a window into the child's mind about what's troubling him, what's puzzling him, and how he or she can try to meet that child where he or she is. So prayer and encouraging those God questions. Oh, awesome. That is a, uh, that's a great place to close, Dr. Fossarelli. I am uh, I, I'm, I'm grateful for your time today. Uh, I think this was a, a fantastic conversation. I will include uh, the way to, to purchase the book um, on, uh, on this website so you can find it below in the comments. And I hope you will pick it up. And uh, may the Lord uh, bless all of you and your families during this time. Thank you, Edward. This has been a production of the Office of Marriage and Family Life at the Archdiocese of Baltimore.